Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hi, folks. How are you? I hope you've had a good week. Um, thank you very much once again for choosing to listen to Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman. Um, and thanks to everybody for your lovely responses um, to episodes. So nice as well, where maybe someone has just started listening to the podcast and so they flit around our 230 plus episodes and discover people that they're big fans of or they learn about new people and new films and new scores and new stories about those films. So thank you so much. It's lovely when I hear from you with regards to whatever it is that you found a connection to the podcast with. So much appreciated. And please keep that coming because I absolutely love it. Um, it's a busy old time of it at the minute. Obviously, we just recently had the Golden Globes. The Oscars and BAFTAs are around the corner. So there has been so much going on around Q&As with this one and that one and nominations and all that kind of thing. So it's been very, very exciting. Also, just a quick nod to this year's um, BAFTA EE Rising Star, an incredible collection of nominees. Uh, and if you haven't seen them yet, then head across to uh, EE to find out more details and get voting as well. It's a brilliant part of the BAFTA Awards and it's the only award voted for by you the public film fans so get involved um, on BAFTAs well I have some very important news uh, with regards to the BAFTA awards which I can't tell you yet but I promise to enlighten you on next week's show now did you know that the person who scores Sasha Baron Cohen's films is in fact his brother Iran well well done if you did treat yourself to a biscuit maybe with chocolate on top. If not, that's your new fact for the day right there, which probably deserves a biscuit too, I would say. Yeah, most definitely. Everybody biscuits, biscuits in, biscuits all round. Woohoo! Now, Erin is our guest on this latest episode of Soundtracking with us primarily to talk about Borat, subsequent movie film, which has just picked up a couple of Golden Globes and has been nominated for both Oscars and BAFTAs and is available to watch right now on Amazon Prime. It is... An extraordinary piece of work. It is so uncomfortable to watch, but so brilliantly entertaining. It kind of blows my mind when I actually think about how they were able to achieve what they did. Uh, Maria Baklova, who plays Tutar, Borat's daughter, is an absolute revelation and deserves all the recognition that she is getting. And Sasha, well equally deserves all the praise for a film that's not just about this character, Bora, but I think it's such an important film that looks at what's wrong with so much of society. Now, before we talk music with Iran, a word from our good friends at Sofa.com. Now, when it comes to watching films and TV, I personally think one of the most important things that can enhance the experience is having the perfect sofa to snuggle up on. That is where Sofa.com come in. A premium brand that makes beautiful, comfortable, handmade products. They're the perfect choice to help you create your perfect sofa. First, you could choose your ideal shape from maybe something traditional or more contemporary. Then work out the size. You'll find the perfect fit, whether the space is cosy or sprawling. 
When it comes to fabrics, you really are spoilt for choice with hundreds of options to style things your way. Find it hard to decide? Well, then order a few free fabric swatches to match colours with other furniture or your decor. What's not to love about your sofa being handmade to your specific requirements, especially for you and delivered right to your door? To find out more and begin creating your dream sofa, simply visit sofa.com. And so to the fantastic Iran and Borat. Now, for reasons unknown, Iran's score for the film has not been commercially released, so we owe him an enormous debt of gratitude for spending his Friday trawling through his inbox and hard drive to accommodate our various requests for cues. But troll he did, and it's with one of them that we begin. Luxury Mobile Palace. <laughs> Nice to meet you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks very much for asking. I'm slightly early. I, I apologise. Right. No, it's good. I'm. 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 This is my. I'm in my zone. It's all good. Where are you in London? Yeah. Right. I'm just wondering. Yeah, we're sort of doing it. It's kind of LA time, but we, we, we didn't need to because we're, <laughs> we're both in the <laughs> yeah. We can pretend we're in the sunshine. You know. Um. I mean, congratulations as well on the Globes at the weekend. That's, you must be over the moon. Yeah, um, I think it's quite amazing that that happened. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's always great when, when, when something like that happens. And it was certainly a, I mean, it's great in one best picture, you know, in the comedy and, and musical. It, it makes everybody who was involved making it feel that they are part of that. Uh, which we were because we helped make that film. And it was a hard process for everyone. Um, so it's quite nice to get to get something at the end, to get some recognition. It, it kind of, you know, I was just saying I've had the, the, the pleasure of chatting to, to Sasha and Maria about the film and it absolutely blows my mind when you pick apart the construction of it and how much work, you know, behind the scenes goes into, you know, into it. It's, there, there is so much goes into it and so much kind of jeopardy thrown into that sort of situation, you know, as well. You can't predict what a lot of those situations are, you know, the outcome of those are going to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm the, I'm the guy who's lucky. I mean, I, I'm the guy who can just be in the studio and just <laughs> sort of write, write the music, which is stressful enough without having to deal with all the time <laughs> being getting killed. I'm, I'm not an idiot. So I'm just in the studio. I mean, I yeah, all that stuff I'm not obviously really involved with. Like, it, it, things come to me. Yeah. Sometimes uh, because of the crazy process, there's a, obviously there is a, it's a film and then there's a script and there's a storyline, but everything can change at any moment. And sometimes there's, a, there's an idea that happens and suddenly I have to write a song or I have to write the music for a scene that they're going to use while filming. And it's, it's going to be right because they, they can only do it once. The Wuhan song is a great example of that, you know, in terms of what was the story behind that in terms of how much time did you have to kind of come up with that and, and kind of what were the discussions around what it would be, I guess. 
I, you know, it was quite, for me, it was quite a luxury because I think I had almost five days. Um, <laughs> wow. You know, I, I, um, I'm quite used to, like when I did the original Borat movie, which had the anthem in it, mm-hmm. they literally rang me at 10 at night in from L.A., and they said, oh, yeah, we've got the scene. We need, we need uh, some music. Can you do, write the Kazakhstan national anthem, but with these words? And um, it needs to be sung by 80 people or something like that. So I was, I said, sure. You know. So I worked all night and I started all the parts myself, pretending to be Kazakhstani Russian or something, because I couldn't really get hold of people in the middle of the night. Wow! And in the morning they woke up. I mean, I worked on it all day as well. And then when it worked, when LA morning they had a they had the piece. And funnily enough, that track was which was recorded in my studio in London. That was the track they used in the film. They never re-recorded it. It was just done in one night. This um on this film, they did give me a bit more warning. Said, yeah, we've got an idea. Uh, there's going to be a song sung. Um, they told me the idea of, you know, they said, Doctor Fauci, what we're going to do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. That was the line, <laughs> and, they, and so I said, that's you know, I loved it immediately. Yeah, and they said it's going to be sung in a rally uh, with sort of right wing Trumpists rally and. Where people have machine guns, you know, instead of, uh, and but the idea is obviously the song had to be written in a way that, so that, like a lot of the songs they like write with Sasha, they, they start on a certain level where it's already a bit crazy and then it just goes more and more crazy and as, it, as time goes on <laughs> and just more, but just how far can you take it? So the role of the music really is because the words are sort of already going to be, you know, could cause some questions. The music has to really feel right, authentic and real. Yeah. So that, the, I mean, this was really a documentary. There was only one time to film it and um, we needed the audience to sing along because there was this idea of them, you know, you know, Obama, what we're going to do, and everybody sings, inject them with the Wuhan flu. Um, <laughs> so we, we wanted them to feel comfortable doing that. How do you do that? Really, the music has to play a big part in that because they had to hear something immediately that yeah. was something they, they would expect to hear in a place like that, that was authentic, had a real band playing, that was catchy enough that they would immediately pick it up and start singing. Yeah, very nice. Obama was a traitor. 
inside the jail. <laughs> I ain't lying, it ain't no jokes. Corona is a liberal hoax. Corona is a liberal hoax. Yeah. Obama, what we gotta do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Let's hear it. Dr. Fauci, what we gonna do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. I just loved the idea and I, I was a bit worried about my brother singing it, you know, um, actually performing <laughs> it. I did say, don't die doing it, you know. <laughs> he always did. But um, he, um, yes, yeah, so I, I, I came up with the theme, a version of it, and it had a verse and a chorus. And originally, it was much faster. I think I wrote it, wrote a middle eight, and they just said, and then there was a to and froing. You know, they changed the lyrics all the time, literally until the last moment. I didn't know what lyrics. When I heard the final song, it was the lyrics had changed a bit again. So it was just constantly changing backwards and forwards, trying different ideas. But the melody was basically done. We had to slow it down a lot because originally I had it much faster and, um, and we just wanted people to really hear the words. So they'd log in their heads so they could sing back a lot easier, I imagine. Yeah. So it was a, yeah, so it was about four or five days just literally working on that song. And I've got about 15 versions on my hard drives of me singing all the parts and doing, <laughs> doing the demos. Uh, that's part of the process. Well, it sounds like because you used to like, it's, I don't know if it, if it was as kids sort of thing, but you used to have a little kind of comedy duo, didn't you, where you'd play piano and, and Sasha would kind of sing these kind of comedy songs, this sort of, how old were you guys when you started doing that? And is it something that you did as kids, you know, kind of, music and comedy together in a way growing up yeah that's sort of because we in my house in a jewish family in my parents not really that religious but we used to do always friday nights a big meal often with uh, my parents would invite various friends of theirs and i would literally have to play piano to perform for before i got any food um <laughs> so <laughs> You know, often some of the friends, we, you know, all, all different kinds of people came. But yeah, yeah. I mean, especially kind of so to amuse ourselves, we really, I, I started often just mucking around on the piano and Sasha would start improvising ridiculous lyrics. We improvised the song one Friday night and uh, it was about a, I just started playing like a kind of Jewish um, a Jewish type. Um, I mean, I'll, I've got the piano. I'm gonna, I'll show you a bit. Oh, wow, amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the angle. Can you see that? Yeah, I can see it. That's awesome. You've got your t- your your ticker on the top as well. There's a piano there. I love it. I think I think what I did was I just went something like this, you know, sort of um <laughs> and, and, and you know, and then such as um and basically the the songs end, ended up being called Schwitzen, which was sweating. It was about a Hasidic Jew. Because he has to wear the black hat and the black the black coat, even in the hot weather, he's schwitzing, which is Yiddish for sweating. So you know, it basically, I goes. I'm trying to remember. I walk down the street wearing my flip flops. I walk down the street wearing my speedo swim trunks. I've got nothing else on. Yeah, that's later. So eventually, 
he takes off all the clothes because he's hot and he's only wearing speedo swim trunks. Anyway. I love it. Something like that. Anyway, it's a long time ago. I love that you remember it. It's brilliant. What happened was we did that and then we started, Sasha had a friend, we started, actually it was also a friend of mine, we started performing in a club with a guy called Lenny Beige. Yeah, I remember was, Lenny. He had some very funny acts, all quite a little bit crazy. So we, we did that song, Dresses Hasidic Jews. That was sort of the start, really. <laughs> music is a brilliant way, though, of, I think music and comedy have a great relationship, you know, in terms of, it kind of almost allows a level of, I don't know, you can get away with more sometimes, I think, with the with the way that you can use music with comedy, and particularly satirical comedy. Yeah, I mean, certainly the Wuhan flu is probably one of the most... <laughs> it's brilliant to highlight that. Yeah. I, think, I think it's true. I think comedy always can push things and make you think about something in a different way and maybe confront you and, you know, confront important issues in a funny way, but actually in a very truthful way, actually, in the day. So the music, just like everything, why do you have music in a film or why do you have a music, why does, in, you know, why does music, why do musicals sometimes, it's the most powerful thing when you have a song and lyrics together or any great song, why is it more powerful? Because that combination just is, can be when it works, the most powerful thing. It just gets you in... In, in the middle of your, you know, if you're, of your, your song. So I think that's right. I think if it, if it's, I mean, you know, writing, the idea of writing a funny song is just sounds terrible to me, but somehow I've done quite a few. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I think, again, it's about being authentic and real and the songs, the music has to be actually right and not, the music isn't, isn't a joke really. Yeah. I love as well hearing you, hearing about your musicality in terms of you, self-taught piano but you were classically trained as a trumpeter trumpet player and I love that you've yeah. seen Miles Davis numerous times in your life in London that must have been extraordinary three times yeah wow yeah so because I so yeah that's true so I I did have a uh, uh I think I did want to play trumpet when I was younger and then for some reason my parents would play a bit of piano first and I had a couple of lessons and I must have been a bit naughty and the piano teacher actually walked out of the, <laughs> of the house. I don't know what I did. I wasn't that naughty, but somehow I must have done something wrong. Anyway, after she left, I just started fiddling around on the piano and trying to copy um, songs that I heard on the radio. I think one of the songs I tried, to, I, I was about eight or nine. I think it was, I remember Golden Brown, The Stranglers. Yeah. like sun lays me down with my mind she runs throughout the night no need to fight never a frown with golden brown every time just like the last on her ship tied to the mast two distant lands takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown 
golden brown fine attemptress Through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day Never a frown with golden brown I just tried to pick it up and work out the chords and uh, I realised it wasn't in four, which was took me quite a long time to work it out. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> So just to just to just to hear things and try and try and work things out. I was probably terrible for quite a few years, but I gradually picked it up. And at the same time, I was playing trumpet, and mm -hmm. um, the teacher didn't walk out, so I was learning sort of classically. And I, I had there was a local orchestra where I was, where they had no trumpet players. So I was immediately put into the senior orchestra, even though I was about nine or ten. Wow! And I was quite a beginner, but the the sound of that at that age was quite mind-blowing. On, on a Saturday, I used to walk into that in the morning and I'd sit in, and trumpet players have to count a lot of bars because uh, they come in, they come in very dramatically and importantly in places, but and you, if you, you have to count 50 bars, which is like really hard, you know, uh, and often the first thing is miss completely, don't lose where you are, forgotten where your bar is. But just sitting in an orchestra, hearing the whole music in there was a great experience, I think. Um, yeah. Me on my career path, really. But Miles Davis, yeah, sorry. I was also say, yeah, I then got into, I was, so I always had different things. I was doing stuff like here, listening to great pop songs. And then I started to hear David Ruddigan on the radio, you know, playing great reggae. Charlie Gillett was playing amazing world music. Mm -hmm. uh, he ended up loving my my album, Zohar, which I had a band, which was incorporated yeah. electronics and and. Arabic and Jewish stuff but um and then and then just hearing music around London and um jazz I got into jazz playing trumpet and I used to go down to a place called the Bass Clef which was in Hoxton Square and at that time it was a you didn't really want to be there at night it was a kind of dangerous place to be but there was this great jazz club with a basement there. Jazz is one of those genres of music that just has this brilliant kind of sort of romantic filmic attachment to it in a way it's always really just I've I, I never I didn't really weirdly I didn't really know much or appreciate jazz kind of growing up it wasn't part of my kind of my you know my yeah. parents my parents never played it It wasn't it part of their sort of listening habits so growing up in a little fishing village in Scotland you were slightly restricted as to what you had access to but it always had this kind of kind of sexy cool kind of you know smoky club type vibes about it, it always had this amazing sort of I don't know, the way that it was represented, I guess, in film and, and in media and stuff, it was always this, oh, man, all the jazz kids are super cool. And like, look, they're smoking fags and, and you know, all that kind of thing. It's like there's just something really cool about the world of jazz growing up and looking at it slightly adoringly. I mean, yeah, I think it, it had a bit of a stigma. But at that time, when I just got my 20s, there was this whole acid jazz thing and there was the jazz warriors and... I was studying with a lot of them in uh, in a great place called uh, Weekend Arts College, which was in Kentish Town. Yeah, a lot of them playing and uh, like Courtney Pine and Steve Williamson. Amazing. It was, a, it, was a, it was a great whole group of of them that were playing, and I was, I was kind of almost almost with well on the edge of that really. And um, Ronnie Scotts and yeah, so there was quite it was quite, and then there was some great bands coming out, you know, like the Young Disciples and yeah and. Uh, you know, Steely Dan was obviously an older band that incorporated jazz with great rock music, you know. Yeah. And for me, just 
finding great music from different places. It was all the same thing, really. Yeah. And weirdly, like when you think of like the like the music within both Borat films, it needs a a, a whole combination of of world music really in there as well, in terms of yeah what it's trying to do and support the narrative and the you know and the visuals and stuff in a way as well. And and with the new film as well, there's amazing kind of there is so much music in this subsequent movie film that it's just it's extraordinary when you kind of like I've watched the film a couple of times and I, I specifically went back to watch it purely for the music side of it and and there's this beautiful there's almost like different layers to the music because you've almost got the love story you know between the father and daughter kind of narrative that's running through that has its own beautiful pieces of music like where she's after the um, the debutante's ball where she's in, in the cage and he lets her out. And, and that's the heartbreaking, beautiful piece of cue. Then you have the bit where there's there's loads of voices, like where she's in the car and she's like, you can't drive, women can't drive. And it's this kind of male choir that's kind of domineering. And then it goes into this almost kind of like the slapstick kind of stuff where, you know, he's in the barbers making that last bit of cash to take back to the plastic surgeon and stuff. It's It's incredible. There is so much in there. Where do you start? Because obviously there's some existing music in there. There's some traditional music used in there, but there's also, yeah, it's how, how is that navigating? What are the conversations that you have about what's required of you to write? And do you get involved in that whole side of it as well in terms of it all fitting? Sorry, that was a lot of questions there. Yes. Well, uh, where do I start? Yes. I think Sasha's projects are crazy. And um, ideally what you would have is you'd sit down with, some kind of finished film or some version of it and have a conversation about yeah. what is going on and where what are the key bits in, in the film, what's going to happen, what's the drama, what's the emotion, where you go through it. Then you go in, work out some themes and um, start the conversation, really. Yeah. You know, such a thing, because it's you're dealing with a film that is changing, there's so much stuff that's filmed, there's an idea, but it can change. The whole film, because of the pandemic, because yeah. of COVID, you know, COVID it all almost shut down and it did shut down and we didn't know whether it was going to continue. Then the whole film became about partly about the COVID. So everything changed and it certainly puts you, it's quite a nerve wracking. It's a bit like you're just trying to keep hold on to dear life to get through it. The way, you know, obviously there were certain things that we knew. So the sound of Borat was, we knew from the first Borat, which yeah. was... Kazakhstan, but the music is actually 
Romanian, Bulgarian, gypsy music, you know, um, Serbian. And I was lucky that one of the things I did, you know, starting out as a musician in London was I used to play weddings, Jewish weddings. And I ended up playing with a, this crazy Russian klezmer clarinet player for years, which, which where you start fast and end up going faster and faster. <laughs> and a lot of that music is actually similar. There's, um, a, you know, a lot of that music is based on Eastern European gypsy music. It kind of crosses over. So I know quite a lot about that. So, so we had that sound and that was, you know, the Borat doing things. in this movie is we had this dramatic arc where he gets to know his daughter who he didn't know existed and she starts off in a cage and she becomes emancipated, uh, an emancipated woman who can realise she doesn't need to live in a cage and she can actually drive cars and, and you know, and, 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 and Borat ends up falling in love with his daughter, you know, and um, it, was, it was nice to, actually the music was pretty crucial to try and really bring that emotion into the movie to have that theme that um, follows that arc. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, otherwise it's just Borat trying to, you know, it's, 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 it's a powerful thing, as you said, music, you know, how it changes, how it subtly, in, in, you know, goes underneath, but really enhances the emotion of the scene. So um, that was really an important theme. So we had that theme. We had the idea of, um, you know, uh, Tutar becoming emancipated. So she had a kind of her own little theme that sort of, you know, where she's talking to the babysitter and mm. starting to realise women that, you know, are, are a bit different in America. Yeah. That she, she has, you know, some realisation that she can be a, she can be a journalist stuff like that so that had a, that had its music as well
then, you know, then we had the uh, Rudy Giuliani scene, which was its own thing, which was really the idea of that was <laughs> it was kind of scored a bit like a creepy horror movie where <laughs> yeah. where basically Rudy Giuliani's penis is the monster, you know, basically. It's the knife in cycle, isn't it? Well, it was it was a bit, a bit more subtle, but it kind of all went to that moment where they're in the bedroom. But it was certainly an uneasy scene, and um, but it had this throbbing thing underneath going on. And then there was a sort of action bit, which was really when Borat goes, tries to save his daughter from, from Giuliani at the end, chase, running to save her life, really. So it certainly pushes, you know, Sasha likes to push the envelope and it, and it pushes a lot of different areas. And yeah, it all has to sound coherent. So yeah, that's basically what you do. But it's it's a it's an intense experience that is changing all the time, even even beyond. So <laughs> even beyond, you know, eventually you finish and you have to record it because time's run out and there's a, an orchestra waiting, hopefully, although that was a whole issue this year, uh, last year because of the pandemic. But um, yeah. time runs out and you have to record. But if the film is still changing, then nothing fits. And that tends to be what happens with such wow. a movie. So things have to be changed beyond even, you have to record and then still carry on to make it fit. How did it work then with the with the recording of the that side of things? Because it's been interesting to speak to a few people who it was like it's do or die. Basically, we have to find a way of being able to do this. Yeah, it, obviously, when everything shut down and no, you couldn't. There was no recording going on, and in the, but that was earlier in the process. In the back of my mind, I'm, you know, I'm thinking how we're going to record this and 
I was talking to the, you know, to the production in LA and they're saying, yeah, there was a fit, there was some places in the world where we think we might be able to get some musicians together in a room. Yeah. It was that kind of thing, you know, where can you do it? And um, Australia was, you know, you could maybe there was one place. And, you know, by the time uh, we got to do it, so like it was kind of over the summer and, um, towards the beginning of September when we recorded it, there was, there was a kind of this window, the summer was opened up a bit. Um, we were trying to get into Abbey Road and all that, and it was fully booked. Everything was booked because everybody had been waiting to record, and the minute they could get in somewhere, they just booked it up, so we couldn't get in there. So I have some good friends in Austria, in Vienna. We ended up recording there. They've got, obviously, great musicians, but also because of where it is, great gypsy musicians. I, I ended up getting on a plane going to Vienna, which is quite interesting as well, but um, uh, ended up being a really good place to do it. I want to know as well about um, uh, working with the Kazakhstan Philharmonic Orchestra. Yeah, so the reaction from that was just after the first Borat and um, the reaction from Kazakhstan after that film, as you know, was I think they wanted to kill Sasha and anybody involved with the movie. And, you know, they, the film's banned and there was protests and all that kind of thing, even though it actually put them on the map to a lot, to a lot of people, actually. And in fact, it wasn't even about Kazakhstan, of course. That's another, it was about America. But anyway, um, <laughs> I got, after the film finished, I got contacted by this amazing Russian-trained Kazakh violinist called Marat Bisengliev, who's a Kazakhstani violinist. Um, and he said, oh, my daughter loved the film. And met, he runs uh, uh, the one of the orchestras in Kazakhstan. And he thought it would be a good idea for me to write some music for them. <laughs> and I thought it was a joke. You know, I was a bit, and they said, "Yes, can you come to Kazakhstan? We're going to. I want to show you the instruments and the the musicians." And I thought this sounds great, except I might get killed. So I said, "No, just send me some CDs or some music. You know, <laughs> I'll just do it in the comfort of my home. You know, <laughs> or studio, if you don't mind, thanks." <laughs> and um, so I, anyway, he was serious, and you know, he said, "We've got an eighty-piece orchestra, and uh, we'd love you to write." They work a lot with Cole Davis and they commission quite a lot of other people to write for them. So I did, I wrote this three movement symphony because you don't get asked for that very often. Wow. It was performed in Kazakhstan and London a couple, uh, twice and Kazakhstan a couple of times. Um, and it was, it's called Zer, Z-E-R-E, which I've forgotten what it means, but it's a Kazakhstani word. <laughs> and it was, no, it was quite interesting because I also integrated some real Kazakhstani 
themes and instruments, which is obviously completely different to the Baroque music. But there was a, you know, I, I do have an interest in ethnic music, world music, and fusing that together. Yeah. With other things. Is the is the process um, the same for for any of the films that you've worked on with Sasha? You know, be that Bruno or the the Dictator. Is it the same process, or is Bora its own beast? Uh, it's always every film is different, and it has different challenges. And uh, doing, for instance, there's there's some obviously me and Sasha have a certain musical um, understanding, so. From that point of view, if he says something to me, I can quickly go away and do it without, because, you know, talking about music is quite hard for most non-musicians uh, of the business and, you know, even directors and some, some of them are brilliant at talking about it and other people, they say something and you don't know what they're talking about and you have to work it out, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been trying different things and maybe seeing what they like and what they don't like. Um, but I don't have that social show. There's a very direct way of working, but it's always crazy and it's always changing. Sasha always pushes things. He's never happy. It's never finished. And that, you know, you kind of, he has a certain way of editing where you almost go around in a circle. You try everything and you, then you come back to where you started from sometimes, um, which is kind of quite crazy. You know, sometimes you get to somewhere else, sometimes you come back in a different way and it, it kind of works, but it's a, quite a process to go through. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's always interesting. You know, in, in um, Bruno, they, another song that I wrote, and I do write love writing songs. Um, I get a chance for the films, but um, so they again they said, "Oh, we're doing, we're going to make peace in the Middle East. Bruno's going to get the, the dove of, of peace and make peace with between the, you know the Arabs and the Israelis, and uh, we need a song tomorrow." You know, so I wrote. They gave me some lyrics. Dove of Peace. Um, and then it became the big end of the movie where starts, Bruno starts singing it and then they pan out and it's Sting is singing it's next. I think actually it's Bono sings the next line. And then it's and then it's Sting and then it's and then Elton John. Elton John and Chris Martin and yeah, they're all in there, aren't they? Chris Martin and then <laughs> and um who else we had? We had Slash on guitar and Snoop Dogg. I've written the song. That I hope is gonna bring the world together. Put down your guns and bombs and just make love forever. Okay, then. He's come to heal the world. Make all nations calmer. I am the Austrian Jesus. He is the White Obama. He's the White Obama. Walk just based on hate and fear. Stop fighting North and South Korea. You're both basically Chinese And he's Bruno Dabafi Hey yo Bruno, where the bitches at? You are Bruno Dabafi You're a fashion model, you got the kick hoes You are Bruno Dabafi You know I love black guys, I'm a chocoholic Bruno Dabafi Bruno wants peace 
Either we're going to have peace or we're going to have motherfucking war. And then we were recording that in LA and um, because of the way things work, they're filming it. They're filming the film. There's a director, there's 80 people in the studio. I'm trying to produce it, but I can't because the director had to say cut when they, you know, I'm just the, I'm just the composer producer. I mean, I'm not going to say, I can't say anything. So we're just hoping we get uh, the right performances. Um, again, that song ended up being about eight, nine minutes and then it cut down to a shorter length. So it's like the, the most amazing experience and also the most stressful experience you know, <laughs> at the same time. That kind of sums it up, I think. <laughs> but as his brother, particularly with this film, how much he puts himself out there and with this particularly and how mental all those kind of, you know, right-wing Trump mm. supporters are sort of thing. Balls of steel then, you know, in terms yeah. of, you, I mean, you must be, as his brother, a, you know, a wee bit worried about him sort of thing in terms of what he's, yeah, he's, what he's doing for his art, what he's doing for this. But the thing is, is that... People on surface value think that Borat's kind of, you know, it's, it's a comedy character, but this film is so much more. And it is, it's got such a strong purpose to it, I think. I mean, I, I, as I said to you at the start, I just, it baffles me. I, the, the work that went into this thing actually being made and what they put themselves through. And Maria as well, in terms of yeah. what a fight yeah. and just the, Oh, she's just yeah, she's she's amazing. I'm so excited to see what she does next as well. But but yeah, you must yeah. as his brother just be kind of going, what are you doing? Well, remember, I I normally only see it, or I mean, so, I only normally really see it after you know after it's all happened. I mean, with the song, it's going to happen, but the most of it I only see when I get the get the actual film. Um, and I I do remember actually the first time I really got a bit worried was it was actually in Bruno when he was a gay guy fighting in a cage fight with a load of rednecks and ended up you know I don't know if you remember that scene but he ended up kissing the guy who's fighting a guy you know with all these red and they you know the guys there's nothing more confronting was yeah and they start throwing chairs and one of the chairs almost hit him on the head and it was you know that is. He's 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 definitely does as you see. I, as I said, I'm I'm glad I'm the guy in the studio. In the <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, he's he. I think he does think it through and 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 work out escape routes and stuff like that. And yeah, think, you know, work out how how it can be done. But you know, he did. He wore a bulletproof vest in this film. I think that's the first time he had to do that, and you know, that was something he was prepared to do. You know. I loved, he told us a story about them kind of getting what happened like post Giuliani scene and them getting out of, first getting out of the hotel and getting out of New York. And the making of it is is a film in itself, you know, in terms of yeah. the, the, the build up, the prep, but then also post all these kind of situations. And the fact that he had to stay in character for five days, yes. whatever it was, when he lived with those guys, it's like... And he said about one morning he woke up in in Borat's pajamas and he just he almost lost it. Kind of just thought he was like, "What is this? Is this real? Am I in a, some kind of weird lucid dream or something?" It's like, yeah, conviction to your art for sure. He certainly, he certainly has that, and he and it, it carries on also with the way things are pushed in the edit because there's so much material to go through and to pick. And as I said every a lot of different you so that scene 
for instance, in, in the lockdown house, one of, just one of the scenes, you know, that would have 20, 30 versions. Some will be shorter, longer, different jokes, different bits. Yeah. Um, and just trying different different ideas and it just keeps pushing it all the time it's yeah quite tough it's time mean, he puts it through he puts himself through it and all of us yeah but it, it brings out a certain result and you know we were all rushing to get it ready before the um the elections and it just came out when Giuliani was trying to talk some rubbish about a laptop he had yeah and um, <laughs> yeah. people were just asking about the bedroom scene with uh Tutar, you know so, so that was actually actually kind of had an effect i think it may have had a small connection even which which is a good thing <laughs> yeah totally it's you know it's it's brilliant to like even within this one film the kind of the 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 diversity of of your skills as a composer and how you embrace so many different types of music and 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 fulfill the kind of needs of the music in so many different ways. What do you love? What do you enjoy about composing? What is the thing? Because all the other stuff that you do outside of film composing, you know, we talked about, you know, writing the music for the, the Kazakhstan Philharmonic Orchestra and, and all the other things that you do. And I know that you love performing live as well. The live things kind of, you know, being able to do that is kind of a, a you get a big kick out of it. But the film composing side of things, what is it you love about it? What do you enjoy about that side of, of what you do creatively? Well, it's it's a very unique experience where you you are as a composer you I mean it, uh, even more so because we were in lockdown but you're normally alone because you're in a studio you're given a film and you just have to come out with the music and there's a time thing and I quite like I do actually quite like that stressful situation where you have to come out with the music and it has to be great and it, it has to work. Uh, it's a, it's a bit like having a terrible exam every day, but uh, <laughs> there's something that gets you going on that, and then you're doing it, and you get, and then there's a point where you 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 know you've got the crux of the you you've kind of solved the a lot, the problem of how do you do this, how yeah. does this theme work, where does it go, and then and then it begins the puzzle begins to come together, and the power of the music to change a scene, um, you know, emotionally and uh, dramatically, you know. It, Actually, with comedy, again, it's it's comedy. You have to not get in the way of a joke, and um, the timing is crucial with that with that and horror movies. So, it's yeah. it's it's very technical, but very you know you know you're creating something important as well. So, and then at the end, you, it's quite a difficult experience, and you, then you come out and you record it with a with all the real players. So, you know, because I've done film music, I've got to record in Abbey Road, I've got to record in all the great studios in LA. You know, I got to go to, um, you know, you get to record with great musicians and uh, orchestras and stuff you could only dream about, really. Mm. That is a great both, But, of course, it work, it, you know, it's quite stressful doing that because often there's things to deal with when you do, while, you do, while you're recording because you're running the session. But, but um, all that is you know, great experience. Yeah. Um, and then you just go and try and recover <laughs> after you finished because it's been so, you know, such a, such an intense experience. And um, listen, Aaron, it's so great to chat to you. I've, I, I could, um, I could chat to you all night, but I'm, 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 I'm noticing the time, but I hope we get the chance to do it again. And brilliant to get to chat to you about it. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, take care, mate, and stay safe. And I hope to see you in person soon at some point. Thanks again. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Rock of ages, let our song 
Songs in the key of Hanukkah, that's Rock of Ages featuring Jules Brooks, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Iran Baron Cohen. Now, my huge thanks to Iran for taking the time to talk to us and for spending so much time getting all those cues for us. It just made this episode sound brilliant. Thank you so much. Borat's subsequent movie film is available to watch on Amazon Prime now and is as funny and bang on the satirical money as you'd expect it to be. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes and please do follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at Soundtracking UK. Now, as you probably know by now, I also put together a little YouTube show to accompany the podcast. So do subscribe to our channel if you get a sec. We just put a new episode up with Viggo Mortensen, Murray Gold and Adam Janotabzowski, who is the composer behind the fantastic Saint Maud. Join me next week for another episode of Soundtracking as we dive deep into conversation about film, TV and music. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.